This morning's reading is, comes from 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 16, and reading from verse 23. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day and after day. Decline his glory among the nations, his marvellous de deeds among all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared beyond all gods. For all gods are nations, nations and idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before, before him. Strengthen and joy is the, in the dwelling place. Ascribe in the Lord of, of families of nations. Ascribe in the Lord glory for strength. Ascribed to the Lord in glory due to another name. Being an offering for one uh, for, and come before him. Worship the Lord in splendor, his holiness. I rumble before him and the earth. The word is firmly established and cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Be all then, say, among the nations, the Lord reigns. Amen. Well, good morning, one and all. Uh, I hope you're not going to suffer from an overdose since uh, I haven't been up here for so long and then this is my second week in a row. Uh, it is actually good to be up here. And I've got to start with an apology. Um, last week, I, I actually gave the idea that we were going to be um, continuing, continuing in Exodus. We're not doing that. So that's totally upon myself. Uh, that was a mistake I made. But we've decided we are going to go in with Exodus in a few weeks. So you're going to have a three-week break from Exodus, and then we'll get into a bit of that law that I said that uh, we would actually be studying because it's such an exciting thing to do. The passage that we just heard is actually from 1 Chronicles. I heard a few pages flicking backwards and forwards. Now you're smiling, yeah. Okay, so, because uh, I was like, wow, this sounds so much like the 1 Chronicles passage. But uh, So it's 1 Chronicles 16 that it came from. And, and it's this call to worship, isn't it? And for some of us, we're sitting here, and as we heard those words, as we read the words that were on the screens, there's this stirring in our soul, and we're like, yes, this is what I want to do. I want to be in God's presence. I want to know Him. I want to engage with Him. And so when we do those passages of Scripture, they really encourage us, or do they? You know, we come into this place, and we say, and I've been guilty of this, you know, we start the service, and we say, this is a call to worship. What are we doing before that? What is it that we were doing? And we say that we come to this place and we have a worship service. Really? And for some people, they, they end up with this mindset, this thing where they believe this is the only place where we can actually worship God. And all through Scripture, Scripture is very, very clear where it's not about a place. 
It's not about a location. And indeed, when Jesus spoke to that woman by the well, he said, soon it's not going to be about going to Jerusalem to worship me. You will worship me in spirit and truth. And so worship is not so much about a place. Worship is not so much about gathering and doing something. That is part of it, but only a small part of it. Worship is about what we do outside of this building. Worship is about honoring and glorifying God with all we are and all we do. And the thing is, there's people who've walked in here this morning who quite literally have had their world fall apart this week. And we say, put aside your burdens. Don't focus on those. Come and worship God. And for many of those people, they can't do that. They're in a terrible place. And it's so difficult for them when we say, now is the time to worship. It doesn't matter what's happened this week. Let's worship God now. And the thing is, this morning, what I hope you get out of this message is that when we worship God in spirit and truth, when we understand who God is, then in even the most difficult times, we will be able to worship Him. And I can speak from experience, trust me. And the question is, who and how big is the God you worship? You know, when our worlds fall apart, there seems to be this default for many of us where we begin to question God. Is God even real? If he is, where is he? Doesn't he care? And you know, if, if this is that caring God that I hear so much about, if he cared, why isn't he doing something? Why isn't he doing anything? And if that's you this morning, I want you to know that's a normal reaction. When those curveballs come, when the backside falls out of your life, we end up having those doubts come not too far behind us. And I want to say, if that's you this morning, God hears you, God sees you, God loves you, and God holds you. That's the God I worship. But I want you to really think about, each one of us, how big is the God that we worship? How big is the God that you worship? We come here and we talk about God and some of us talk about God in our life groups and things like that. And the thing is, you know, so many of us have issues and problems that we question God about. But if God was to appear to us right now in all his glory and splendor, every one of us would be silenced. Every question would fade into oblivion. None of it would matter. When we see God in all his glory and splendor, nothing else, nothing else matters at all. And if we could just catch a glimpse of who God really is, our whole perspective on everything would absolutely change. And when our world falls apart, although we still weep, although we still hurt, although we still go through the struggles and the pain and the heartache, we can acknowledge that God is still holy. God is still enthroned. He is still in control. And I've seen it again and again in people's lives, and I can testify to it. I hung in there by a thread at times in my life. 
And I want you to think about, whoa, this is going to be interesting. I love the decorations. It's just I can't see my screen. So <laughs> we'll see how we go. <laughs> All right. Okay. So think about Isaiah the prophet. King Uzziah was this awesome king for most of his life. Yes, he slipped at the end. But under King Uzziah's reign, Judah profited. And there's a history of bad kings where things went bad for Israel and everything like that. And King Uzziah dies. And Isaiah, I don't know what he was thinking, but it's like maybe what is coming next? And perhaps he was praying before God and God says, you know what? Come up to heaven. Have a look to see who is really enthroned. Have a look to see who the real king is. And Isaiah gets this vision of God enthroned in heaven and his temple, sorry, his robe fills the temple. Can you imagine what that was like? And the robe spoke of the royalty and the reign of the person who had the robe. And his robe filled the temple. And Isaiah, Isaiah is this guy who we all look up to. He's an incredible prophet of God. And he falls before this vision. And he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He is saying, oh, I've said a few things wrong. If that's Isaiah's response because of a few things that he said bad, Imagine what I'd be like in the same vision. There is so much sin that would be revealed that I couldn't stand. And in the midst of this trouble, what is going to happen to the kingdom of Israel, God's chosen people, Judah? God calls Isaiah to heaven. He says, this is who's on the throne. This this is who is in control. Here's a glimpse of what that God is like. Let's pause and pray. God, we, we need you this morning. Lord, there's so many of us who need that glimpse or vision of who you are. And Lord, I pray you'll open our eyes open our hearts, open our ears to hear what you have to say. Father, we need a realignment. We need to think about who you are. And we need to put aside our preconceived ideas of who you are and what you call us to do and return to Scripture and see what you have to say to us. So, Lord, will you be with your people this morning? Will you challenge us? And in being challenged, in turn, will you allow us to honour you, Lord, by our response? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, I'm going to move this because I can see I'm going to take a dive off the stage. And uh, I'm not sure if too many people have got the gift of healing this morning. And uh, I'd prefer not to break my neck. God's church today is in danger of making worship something it was never intended to be. And it's basically because we're going to shift our focus, we're going to focus primarily on one aspect of worship, and we're going to forget the most important things. We're going to forget what it is about worship for me as an individual. What should I be doing? How should I be living to reflect this life that we should be having with God? And when we think about worship... I wonder how many of us actually go through the Bible to see what is said about worship in Scripture. I wonder how many of us use Scripture for how we align ourselves or if we listen to what others say worship actually is and get swayed by that. And I want to encourage you in every aspect of our lives, we need to go back to Scripture. We need to hear what God is saying and what he is calling us to. 
What do you think when you see this passage of Scripture? And, and, and when we think about this passage of Scripture, where it says that this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, what scenario could that actually be? What could actually be happening where this is occurring? And I want to say, if we are true followers of God, rather than taking offence when you see something like this, we should be like the disciples in the upper room where Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And each one of them said, is it I, Lord? Could it be me? And this morning, when we see things like this, don't, don't be offended. This is God's word. Ask yourself, could that be me? Have I ever lived like that? Where I say one thing, I sing one thing, but the way I live my life, the way I conduct myself is counter to what I'm actually declaring. And God says, those who have their hearts far from him, their worship is in vain. It's like it doesn't reach him. And I think all of us should say, even those of us who've got this right, there go I, but by the grace of God. It's so easy sometimes to put in place things that aren't of God, and we need to be willing to say that. And we should be praying each and every day that God will draw us near to him and strengthen us in our faith. But in order for that to happen, we have to be able to admit that sometimes we get things wrong. Jesus is saying in this passage that the worship being offered is worth nothing. It isn't worship. It has this external appearance of being worship, and to some it may sound like worship, but he's saying it's worth zero. If nothing is happening in your heart, it's not worship. You're not engaging with the one true God. So what should it be in our hearts? What should it be? What should our attitude be? And we're going to cover four aspects of what should happen when we truly worship God, and we're not going to be able to cover every aspect, so it's only four. Please don't come and tell me I missed stuff because I know I've missed stuff. It's a huge, huge subject. So the first thing when it comes to worshipping God truly is that we will treasure God's presence. Think about this and think very, very carefully because, again, we often have these Christian cliches that we say. We have these things that are words on our, on our mouths, but we don't actually understand what it is that we're saying because this God that we're talking about, this God lives in unapproachable light. No one can see him and live when, he, when he's enthroned in glory. And no one, no matter how pure they think they are, can approach God and live. He is good, he is pure, he is righteous. And when we are called to follow him, when we are called to follow him, there's an expectation that is placed upon us. And Luke 11, 35 and 36 covers this. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. Our body is to be full of light. There is to be no darkness in us whatsoever. If we say we treasure God's presence, then we're saying, God, I give you permission to shine your light into my life, every area of my life. Reveal to me any darkness that is within me so I can confess that, I can draw closer to you, and I become this holy vessel that you can fill and use for your glory and your purposes. If we say we treasure God's presence, if we say we treasure him, that is what we're praying. 
And I wonder how many of us really actually mean that. True worship is defined by the position and right we give God in our lives. Where does he sit in our list of priorities? There'll be a number of young adults here who are going, because I want to tell you, if God is a priority in your life, you've got it wrong. He's not a priority. Because a priority can be shifted so another priority takes its place. God is the purpose of our lives. He is not a priority. And everything we do, everything, falls under having God as the purpose of our lives. He is never removed from that position. We should always honour him as the main purpose in our lives. There should never be a time in our lives where something takes precedent over God. And if we do, we've made that something else an idol. We've raised it above God. We've given it more priority and more importance than him. And worship is a matter of heart. It's expressed in a life of holiness, lived out for God, for his glory. Everything we do is done with him in mind. And treasuring God is about removing us and our feelings from our assessment of whether God is worthy of praise or not. When our response to God is about what I feel, what I think, then it's no longer about God, it's about me. It's about what I want. And if you're struggling to treasure God, then I think we've got to come back to what I said before. If you're having difficulty connecting with God, I think you need to get on your knees and say, is it me, Lord? If you're genuine in your asking, he'll reveal to you what is preventing you from drawing closer to him. He'll reveal to you what is holding you back from treasuring him the way that you should The second point is, true worship humbles us. I know for many, they're not willing to ask that question, is it me, Lord? Because that involves humility. That involves being willing to admit that you could be wrong. But true worship can only occur when we do actually humble ourselves. It's about willing to say, I don't always get it right. It's about being willing to say we're sorry. And our Christian walk is all about putting death, those things that get us ahead in the world. The pride, the arrogance, the competitiveness that we're all encouraged to have in our workplace so that we get ahead, that should be put to death. It has no place in the Christian church. And James 4, 6 tells us, he gives more grace, therefore he says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And there's this huge misconception that humility is weakness and nothing could be further from the truth. True humility is about putting to death our personal desires and regarding others as more important than ourselves. As one of the most incredible attributes of Jesus. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Okay, 
We are called to follow Jesus and his example. If our creator humbled himself to be subject to men, even to the point of death, we should follow his lead. And humility is an act of worship. It begins when we understand who we are in light of who God is. Understanding that Jesus, in all of his majesty and splendor, sacrificed all of that so that he could save me. I'm a sinner who cannot and could not help myself. And I'm dependent on God and his saving grace. And we need to understand that before our relationship with God will grow, there's an outpouring of God's love and grace upon us. And that continues all through our Christian walk. Humility is the foundation of teachability. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore. He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. And being teachable is about being open to learning anything from anyone at any time on any topic. That takes true humility. And I've got to tell you, you take the time to kneel before a child, get eye to eye with them. Even kids will teach you. And they'll teach you heaps. Those who are willing to humble themselves will learn from any and all. And I think all of us all through our lives should remain teachable to the very end. None of us will ever know it all. The third attribute is, in true worship, true worship is sacrificial. And some of the greatest acts in the Bible involved sacrifice, some of the greatest acts of worship. And it's not sacrificed by the world's standards. Think of this widow. And we know the story of this widow where she humbly comes into the temple and she goes up and she places a mite in the offering box. The lowest currency that was actually there. But we know the story, as Jesus said, that all these people were coming in, putting very large sums of money. Some of them were doing it so that they were seen for the sums of money they were putting in. This woman came humbly in and she gave everything that she had. By man's standards, she gave nothing. By God's standards, she gave it all. And her act of worship at that time was an incredibly powerful thing. We are still talking about it today. This woman who gave a couple of cents. That's how powerful it was. This lady... A widow gave everything, absolutely everything. And it's what we're called to do. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And when we come to chapter 12 in Romans, we have to realize that Paul has spent the previous 11 chapters talking about God's grace, mercy and love. And then he comes to this and he says, therefore... Because of all of that, because of God's grace, mercy and love, this is how you should live. You should live this sacrificial life. You should be willing to sacrifice yourself for God. You should be willing to stand aside each and every day all your own desires, your own wants, your own needs and say, God, it's you and me. What you want, God, in my life for today. And we should be willing to cleanse ourselves afresh before him. Lord, remove anything that prevents me from being all I can be for you. And use me, a willing instrument, in your hands to bring glory to your name today. It's what he calls us to do. We have to give of ourselves, our wealth, our possessions. And we need to do so without hesitation. 
my reflection on all God is, all he has done for me, should motivate me to action. I think the widow got it. She had nothing but a coin to give. And she gave it anyway. She gave all she had, all she could. Not because people would recognise her for what she did. No one would publicly hear what she did at that time. But because she saw who she was before a holy, righteous God. And she gave the best she could. She gave everything. And she gave in abundance. And it goes beyond our possessions. It goes beyond our money. True worship makes us realise all we are and all we have is God's anyway. And so we should be willing just to give it back to him. All our ambitions, all our desires, everything we want. So our lives move from having a focus on me to being lives that are focused on him. Continuously pointing to him, glorifying him. Jesus Christ, our saviour. And when we do this, we're living out the second half of this verse. We become those living sacrifices that are acceptable to God. And that is our spiritual worship. It's what we are called to do. It's about making ourselves available continuously for God's use and purposes. And the major use and purpose that God wants us to do Another act of worship is to express God's love to others. Pausing the message right here. I stood in this auditorium yesterday with a heap of people that are going to be involved in Kids Club. I admit I've never been involved in Kids Club. I've only been here not quite two years. I was away last year. And I stood with these people and I said, tell me about Kids Club. Give me some good news stories. And there was just story after story after story of people who came to faith who've never been in the church. People who are now some of our young people in the church who are now leaders of Kids Club, who came up through Kids Club. Guys, I got to hear those young people, and they're not so young people, they're young at heart, trust me. Praise God and thank God for all he's done in, through and around Kids Club. And if you weren't here to pray, you missed out. You really did. And the incredible thing is, when they last checked, there was 210, 215 kids registered. Is that awesome? I think so. I think. <clears throat> That's fantastic. What is more mind-blowing is 40% of those kids have never walked into church. 40%. Who's a good mathematician? We're talking just over 80 of those kids have never walked into a church. And they are going to come here and they're going to hear the gospel message. And trust me, each of those leaders here love what they do. They love interacting with those kids. You talk to them, not all those kids are wonderful kids. Am I right? They're all so well-behaved, aren't they? They sit there the whole time like this, don't they? Yeah, no. 
but they just love doing it. And they, they, that's how they express God's love to these people. And the testimonies that we gave before we prayed yesterday. <laughs> so many young people, lives changed because these guys loved. We need to support them. We need to be praying for them. We need to thank God that he has made people in this place do stuff like this. I mean, let's face it, we'd never do this for a Sunday service. But the kids love it and they engage with it. And we have this incredible opportunity to reach our community. You know those kids are going to go home with a CD and a book with all those amazing songs about God? And they're going to be singing those songs at home. They're going to be telling their mums and dads what they did. And there's already stories about those people being brought into the kingdom because of those silly songs. It's incredible. And we have this impact upon our community because of the love that these guys have for God and the love that they want to extend to these kids. And when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and they said, what is the greatest commandment? This is what he said. He said that you're going to love the Lord your God. And then there's this second commandment. It's a bit like it. You shall love others. Love your neighbor. And your neighbor's everyone. Just in case there's any confusion, a bit later on we're told, love your enemies. If we love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, all our mind, with all our strength, we'd offer our bodies as those living sacrifices to him. We would give him full access to ourselves, that he would be able to renew our minds, that we would think more like he does and less like we do. And it is a progression. It's one of these things that we have to keep working at so that we draw closer to God. We become more and more like him and we reflect more of him. The obviously outworking of our moment-by-moment sacrifice is that we will love our neighbours, literally everyone that we come into contact with, as much as we love ourselves. And Romans 12, 9 and 10 tells us, Let our love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo, outdo one another in showing honour. And if our love were genuine, then it would hate what is evil. It'd cling to what is good. It'd be devoted to one another. It'd honor one another above ourselves. It'd keep our spiritual fervor in serving the Lord. We'd be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, sharing with those in need, practicing hospitality, blessing those who persecute us, rejoicing with those who rejoice, mourning with those who mourn, living in harmony, associating with the lowly, not being conceited or proud, not repaying evil for evil, doing what is right, living in peace, not taking revenge. In case you missed it, if your love is genuine, then you'd love your enemies. And there's much discussion about exactly what has been said in this passage. But what most commentators agree on is that it is a call to love in a way that is counter to the world. That's with our protest. And it's a reckless love. It's a love that is given without an expectation of return. It's the way that God loves us. He pours his love out upon each and every human being. His desire is that not one be lost. And his love is a reckless love because he doesn't expect a return. He doesn't give it expecting a return. He hopes there'll be a return. He hopes that we will love him. And that's our hope too. We love others in the hope that they will see the love of God and that they will love him. But we should love without expecting a return. 
but it's a love, especially when poured out upon our enemies, that changes lives. And when this passage speaks about burning coals, most commentators agree that this is God's judgment. This is, this is God calling these people to account. And when we love in a way that is unreasonable, when we love in a way that is just so counter to the world, the thought is that if we continue to do that to these people who are our enemies and oppose us and keep pushing back against us and keep doing terribly things, if we keep loving them by God's grace, by his power, and we leave the judgment to God, we don't go there. In the midst of that, often there's this incredible thing that happens where these people actually begin to feel ashamed of the way that they've treated you. And I've seen this again and again. The guilt begins to produce this repentant heart. And they're sorry towards you because of the things that they've done. And the ideal opportunity then is that that door opens, that you tell them about this God who loves them so much. And that's why you love them, because God has poured that love into you. And it leads them to give their life to Jesus. Or at least to be confronted with the question, are you going to follow Christ or are you going to reject him? And you know what? I don't think there's any greater celebration in glory than when a lost child is brought to God. And when I say child, you could be 95 when you come to Jesus. How much more is that worshipping God? Where does that leave us this morning? What we've spoken about is the transformed life that every Christian should lead. If that's you this morning, there's a couple of things I want to ask you. Some things that we should actually think about. I know there's some people sitting here, and when, when you think about your worship relationship with God, how you live before Him, your heart's grown cold. And I want to say that's actually a good thing. If you can sit there and say, my heart has grown cold, that is a good thing because God hasn't rejected you altogether at this stage. And if your heart has grown cold, there's opportunity for you to return to God, to acknowledge your need of him, to bow before him, to submit to him and to be renewed. It's God who put that yearning in your heart. It is God who's allowed you to acknowledge that your heart is cold. And he hasn't put it there to mock you. He hasn't put it there to leave you in that place feeling terrible. He's put it there so you'll rise up. He's put it there because he wants to encourage you to return to him. And so often we think at these times that God has deserted us and he's left us. But if you make that step this morning, if you say, Lord, I need to renew my relationship with you, you will see that he's been standing there the whole time with his arms wide open. Think of the story of the prodigal sons. Yes, both of them. One of them went off and did his own thing and spent the fortune. The other one stayed near and sinned anyway. They were both as far from their father as each other. And God welcomes both back. Those who are near, those who are far. He welcomes you with open arms. Our lives, I believe, are a bit like a vacuum. And all through our walk, we just have these things that are brought into our lives and they fill those voids or we try to fill those voids in our lives. And so we're filled with all sorts of stuff. We have to empty ourselves of everything that is not honouring to God. We have to clear that junk out. And we have to allow God to take his rightful place in our lives. And we need to remember that God can only dwell in clean vessels. 
And I'm not saying we're going to live perfect lives, but our desire and our heart should be that we continually submit our lives fully to him so that he can renew and refresh and clean us again and he can dwell with us. Are you willing to take that step to change? Are you willing to allow his purifying light to dispel the darkness that is still in you? And to give you the life he's always intended you to be. You have been placed in SDBC for a reason. And you'll only realise your full potential if you can clear the darkness from your life. It may involve repentance. It may involve confession. It may involve humility. Don't let it slip by. If God's calling to you, come forward. Pray to him. I'm willing to pray with you. I'm willing to celebrate I believe that's God's call for us this morning. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your presence and love with us here this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you for all that means. And Lord, I thank you that for the majority of people here, they have this experience that they once had where they knew that presence and love in a very real and powerful way. And it was life-transforming, Lord. And Lord, for many of us, that has grown cold over the years. It was certainly the case for me many years ago, Lord. And we just need you, Father. We need you to step in and to call us to that place where we can be renewed afresh. And so, Lord, we just ask by power of Holy Spirit, that you'll do your work amongst us this morning. And again, Lord, I know that you've been speaking to people. Will you move them to humble themselves before you? Will you move me to be humble before you? That we may live the lives that you've called us to and we may be willing to submit to you each and every day so we can be the holy instruments we need to be so you can use us we can reach our community. In Jesus' name, amen.